0: This is Ron Thurston, and today I'm live in the Airstream in San Diego, California, with Tony Drockton, the founder and chief cheerleader of Hammett Handbags. Welcome to Retail in America. This podcast is part of the Retail in America tour, my year-long journey to discover incredible retail heroes All across the country, celebrating our retail culture, community, and careers. Go to retailpride.com or on Instagram at retailpride to see it all, including past podcast episodes, playlists, and future cities on the tour. For anyone that knows Tony Drockton or has seen him speak, you know that this conversation is full of big ideas and even bigger energy. But before we get started, I want to thank the three important title sponsors for the Retail in America tour and this podcast. Spotify Advertising – Spotify has grown to over 420 million monthly unique registered users around the globe, over half of which are supported on the ad platform. Spotify Advertising will help you reach and target your audience across devices, locations and formats. Ubik – Over 300 companies in 80 countries trust Ubik to drive their retail performance at scale and get real-time visibility into multi-location business execution, digitized task management, and consistent digital mobile learning for their teams. And KWI, KWI is the industry's only true turnkey omni-channel platform for specialty retailers. With over 35 years of experience, let KWI help you execute flawlessly with the features that matter most, including endless aisle, clienteling, mobile checkout, inventory management, e-commerce, and more. The links to learn about all three of these great brands will be in the show notes and at RetailPride.com. And with that, let's get started with the show. Tony Drockton, welcome to Retail in America. Thank you, Ron. Uh, So happy to have you here. So we're in San Diego. You generously drove down from Hermosa Beach. Two and a half hours, oh my goodness. I needed a visa though. (laughs) to have this conversation you know, in San Diego while we're here. So I very appreciate it. Oh, yes. Thanks for having me thank, down. Thank Looking you. forward to today. Thank you, me too. So I want to share just a few highlights about you, but I most importantly want to hear your story. So you are the self-proclaimed chief cheerleader and founder of Hammett, which is a genuine American luxury brand based in LA. You're a lifelong entrepreneur. And beginning with an MBA from Bowling Green in your home state of Ohio, Tony established his pattern of success early through his startups in the construction and finance industries before moving into this crazy fashion business that we're gonna talk about. Tony took the reins at Hammett in 2008, overseeing its transformation from a best kept hometown secret to a digital and retail phenomenon. You are a philanthropist, speaker, mentor, and lifelong entrepreneur, but most importantly, you love experiencing the zest and wonder of life, which is very (laughs) true from our friendship over the past year. I always like to start with retail in America and this idea of you, know, you have two, soon to be three, of your own stores for Hammett. You're in 800 wholesale locations. You have a really booming business. You're engaged in the retail industry as a speaker, as a founder. What's your point of view on retail in America today? I mean, I can't think of a better time to
1: be jumping into the retail industry if you look at the last 20 years, the transformation, the change. I mean, 20 years ago, uh, I think 20 years ago, Target had outsourced their online to Amazon. That's actually mm-hmm. true. Mm-hmm. And now look at, everyone now has a website that once can sell online, but at the same token, the success is the physical store. It always has been, it always will. It just took a while for the technology to get woven into that successful formula. Right. So, yeah my forecast over the next 20 years is the people that are the best within retail will continue to flourish and the retailers that are simply trying to do it cheaper or even faster i think they'll dwindle away mm. and that's going to open up an opportunity for every entrepreneur out there
0: to get into this industry wow and those that you perceive as doing really well today that are making those investments. Are there any that particular that come to mind or that are partners of yours? There's an obvious Apple, right? The Apple story, yeah. everyone knows. I mean, look what they've done. More
1: obvious, Lululemon, continuing to thrive. How many brands have jumped into that category? Mm-hmm. Right? But I think there's a less obvious, like uh, Gentle Monster, it's an eyewear company out of Korea.
0: Mm-hmm. Oh, my gosh. Their stores are gorgeous. We were just in the one in San Jose and Valley Fair. Incredible. Their
1: product's great. Yeah. It's all their own design. It's well-priced, right? Yeah. I think I position them kind of like us. They're luxury, but they're not yeah. European-priced, right? Yeah. And they're so experiential. Hometown favorite, SoCal Aviator Nation. Mm-hmm. I love their designs. I mean, she is an amazing founder, hand paints every store, brings everything in that she loves. Yeah. It's retro 70 vibe, and it's,
0: it's the uniform right now for people in the know. It, it definitely is in Southern California. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. For sure. Yeah. I can well, go on and on. But no, it's, it's fascinating. I agree with you. It's a really exciting time. Yeah. If the technology is available, yeah. the idea of new store design, the idea of how to build a customer base, it's a really exciting time. It really is. Oh, and there's this one other brand. I think, what's her name? It's, uh, oh, Hammett. Hammett. That's right. You got to check out Hammett. <laughs> That's your brand. So let's go there. So tell us tell us how it all started. Tell us the Hammett story. You know, I, I definitely took the not so
1: straight way into being in this crazy fashion retail industry. Born and raised in Cleveland, Ohio, was raised in my dad's little grocery store. Uh, everyone likes to joke in my company when I bring up my dad or the grocery store, they'll always go, your dad had a grocery store, <laughs> but really you learn everything you need to learn in retail, especially if you're in a family business, a family grocery store, right? It's all about customer service. It's all about keeping the shelf stocked, yeah. keeping it clean, organized. You're ringing someone out and they're in a hurry. And then you're ringing someone out and they're really slow. Right. So you got to adjust your tempo person by person. I think that's the number one lesson of being in this industry, is learning how to how to mirror whoever's right in front of you. Mm. And if you can do that well, you've made their day. And so from there, I w- went to college, grad school, and always wanted to move to California. Lever and I had hitchhiked to California at 17. So wow. me and my best friend crazily started saying we we're gonna do it, and then you gotta do it. So we graduated, <laughs> and we ended up right here in San Diego, actually, the first piece of ocean I saw was a Pacific Beach right here in San Diego. Oh, wow. I turned 18 on the beach, fell in love with California. And never left. I did go back. I went for undergrad and grad school, okay. but I came back twice. So then I moved out here and I'm a not lifelong entrepreneur. So I'd already had small businesses in actually middle school and high school. So mm. I started a construction and roofing business. I went into the digital advertising in the first internet boom. I jumped out of that, went into home construction and residential finance, and everything worked pretty well. But when I found out each time, no matter how much money came in, I just wasn't passionate. I kept seeking, seeking, and then I discovered Stephanie Hammond and her wonderful designs. Hmm. I was in the period of seeking, what do I want to do for the rest of my life? And my goals list had changed because I'd had some financial success without having the passion. Mm -hmm. And this time I said, I'm just going to go for the passion and hopefully the financial success will follow. Mm. Don't do that. Mm. (laughs) (laughs) Don't because it didn't, but I loved it. And you know what happened? I actually didn't make money and the financial success didn't follow. I mean, the first six, seven years
0: of Hammett, Ron, I went straight downhill financially, but every year I loved it. Wow. and, and I realized, what did you love? Like what, what speci- like how would you describe that? I
1: loved building something that people were passionate about, they loved. I mean, it wasn't just a handbag. Each year, even though the money wasn't coming in, mm-hmm. each year I was mm-hmm. learning and growing. There's so many facets to this business. It's like a Rubik's Cube. Mm-hmm. You know, you, you turn one way, another way, you get one side of color, and you're like, I got this. And then you look on the other side, you're like, oh no, blue's not there. <laughs> and that's why fashion's so great. And it's also constantly evolving. Yeah. So again, based on that Rubik's Cube, but there isn't the same colors all the time. Once in a while, the blue becomes magenta and the red becomes green. You're like, where did these colors come from? They weren't even on the Cube. Um, that's retail, that's fashion. And so- Beautiful way to describe it, so and, true. And you know, versus in the roofing business, I mean, it's a roof, it's a roof, it's a roof. Yeah. Once I learned it, it was just step and repeat, right? Winston yeah. repeat, wow. even residential finance. Once you get it in place, a mortgage is a mortgage is a mortgage. Even right. even construction, unless you're doing high, high end custom homes, it starts to become very rote. Mm-hmm. This industry never, ever. So, you know, even though the financial success didn't come right away, I knew every obstacle was an opportunity to learn and I needed to learn this business. Yeah. And so, around halfway through this journey, and it's been 14 and a half years, I really leaned into some great mentors. And they'd already been helping me or tried to, okay. but I probably wasn't listening. <laughs> I got this. And, uh, <laughs> you know, truly, when you get to that rock bottom and you're like, oh no, uh, I don't have I'm any like, money left. I I'm need ready, help. I need help. <laughs> and so, luckily, I have some amazing mentors around me. You know, there's a Jeffrey Schwartz, who's been our leather supplier and factory owner from the beginning, still makes Hammond bags. Andrew Forbes, now our CEO of five years. He was the founding COO of Jimmy Choo. He'd been mentoring and helping me since the beginning. And finally, five years ago, he agreed to join as our CEO. Huge shift for us. And I can name so many more, but the story is simple. Find people that already know what they're doing to help you, listen and follow it. And since then we've not only continued to grow every year, but we became profitable and really, really, really honed that skill set of building a handbag. I like to say not for a reason or a season, but for a lifetime. Mm -hmm. Yeah.
0: So Tony, tell us more about the product, like the Hammett collection itself. What makes it special, unique, all the categories? Well, I'll tell you early, early on
1: making the handbags, locally here in Southern California, we redesigned a zipper pull. And we put it on all the bags and we shipped it out to our partners and we got some calls, like one snapped. I'm like, oh no, another one snapped. Oh no, another one snapped. And I was like, what do I do? I'm like, lifetime warranty. So I remember in the moment, I'm like, just tell people lifetime warranty, we'll fix it. And we did. We sent zipper pools to little shoe repair places. They were able to go in in the country and we paid, have it put on. And I learned all of those customers, they were so excited that we oh, took care oh. of it. So that's been our motto truly a lifetime, no question warranty. And of course, then we had to design into that. Mm -hmm. We had to start making everything better. We redesigned that (laughs) zipper pull and everything we do, we pressure test it, the zippers, the leathers, the, the, the sewing, so that it truly can last multiple generations. And so when you have that mindset going into design, suddenly everything starts to change. Not just the product, but how you take care of customers. And it goes through today. So I think we're shipping our one millionth bag in the next couple of months, (laughs) and every single one, no registration, is backed by the Hammett
0: no question asked lifetime warranty. Wow. Wow. Such confidence from the sales team yeah. when they can say that. It's it's great, yeah, it's right? It's beautiful. And it's
1: even better when people call in and like, oh, I don't know what to do. Like my strap broke. I'm like, what do you mean what to do? We're sending you a label. We're going to take it to the Hammett Surgery Center. And we're going to bring it back to life the Southern California way with surgery. That's how we all look better, isn't it?
0: <laughs> we
1: actually say that in the email. That's how we do it. I
0: love it. <laughs> Always with the Tony sense of humor. Yeah, yeah got to have fun. <laughs> you got to have fun. I love it. And it's a trend now. So Bottega Veneta just announced similar. Yes. And so this idea of, you know, we live in kind of balancing these two worlds, a very disposable fashion. Yeah which is a very separate conversation and a very much kind of re-commerce and this idea of lifetime warranties and, and buying less, but with an intention to keep it longer. 100%. Um, so that's an interesting point of view. You know, My
1: philosophy, there is nothing more environmental than making a high quality product once that truly can last 100 years. Yeah. I mean, think about it. Hammets never end up in a landfill. They're passed down like family heirlooms. And I've always judged the value of a brand now is transparent. We can pretend that we have a brand, but if you want to know what your brand is worth, go to Poshmark, go to the real, real, go to Vestiaire. Whatever it's selling for, the difference between the retail price and what it's reselling at, that's the loss of brand. So we try to focus on the least loss, and if not, even a gain. Some of our original limited editions sell way more than the retail price. We have collectors out there with hundreds.
0: So that feels really good. Wow, amazing. And you just had a big Land event, (laughs) which I love. You know, the the pictures and Candyland takes over Land. Like, tell us about that, and it sounds like it was the biggest one you've ever done.
1: Well, you know, I had another philosophy that I hit early on. You know, Stephanie Hammond used to have these home parties when I met her when we started. They were these small parties in Manhattan Beach and Hermosa Beach. People would invite us into the home. We'd show the latest collection, and they would buy them right there with wine and cheese. And I thought to myself, this is something. This is big. So we started doing them a little bigger. Then we moved into locations like art galleries and restaurants. And I always had this dream that one day people would fly in from all over the country just to attend this event, which we have once a year. And it's not a sample sale. We like to call it the retired styles event. So <laughs> we don't have sales. We don't ever put our mm-hmm. core best sellers it's the same price everywhere all the time but of course you have fashion product that you design maybe you made too many yeah or maybe it just didn't resonate that one we go ahead and retired styles once a year but we add circus performers shirtless men <laughs> singers electric violinists makeup artists open bar gourmet food and a lot of craziness and every year we have a new theme and this year it's Land after the game Candyland which everyone's played and of course I had to be King Candy <laughs> You know, Shelley the love of my life oh. she was Queen Frostine <laughs> my son of course was Lord Licorice and my nephew Daniel came in and he was Mr. Mint and so we all were in costumes we showed up to start the party yesterday uh, Saturday November 5th we thought we'd have 1,200 people, which is crazy. It's crazy. We had 3,000 people show up for the event, nothing close before that. And we still were able to pull it off. Everyone had a great time. I literally cried when I saw the line. It felt right. Yeah. And people had a blast. So then they were able to pick up some ham and handbags, but most importantly, people tell me they come to meet other people that they've never met before and connect and also to reconnect from people from last year or the year before. And when you layer on top 60 people that flew in from all over the country for the first time just to go to this event, they even had their own happy hour after our party. They had (laughs) another room to go before. It was just great. So now I I really feel like it's my my obligation as a chief cheerleader to carry on this tradition of bringing people together to connect no matter where they are, whether it's at Candyland, whether it's in the airport when two people are wearing a hammock and they see each other, or whether it's when I stop into one of our partner doors and say hello, and they're like, who are you? I'm "I'm Tony, I own hammock. You own this brand?
0: That's the funniest moment for me. That's great, so much fun. It's community. It's community. It's it's so much bigger than the handbag. It's not the handbag,
1: it's what it represents. And isn't that all true of the retail business in general? Right. We can get stuff anywhere, but we fall in love with certain associates on the
0: floor because of the value they bring in the moment. Yeah. And imagine how many people, the 3,000 people, how many people they told about their experience right. at Hammettland, hashtag Hammettland, <laughs> you know, many. on Saturday. I'm, <laughs> I'm sure <laughs> yeah. you know, that, that just builds brand equity and momentum that carries far further than Saturday's event. Yes. It's, it yes. lasts for years. And it's you know, your customer is telling their friends and their family and their like, that's real community. Brands dream of having that level of, of promoter. I'm a nine and a 10 for this brand. I'm gonna promote this brand. I love yeah. it so much. Yeah, you It's know, a dream. It, 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 you can't manufacture it. I like to say you can never create
1: brand equity. You have to earn it mm-hmm. and you earn it one customer at a time, one partner at a time. My retail partners and wholesale are way more important to me than any individual customer because they represent me every day. And they train their new employees and their long-term ones that Hammett is a true partner. And so when people walk into a little boutique in Missouri in Indiana, and someone says, "This is a partner of ours, we love him. that that's the ultimate goal, isn't it?
0: Incredible. And how does that role of you and chief cheerleader, how does that show up? <laughs> you know for people that don't oh. know you, you know I see you on social, I know some of the work that you're doing, but you are the, the real definition of the chief cheerleader for this. Thank you, thank you. And it
1: was given to me by uh, one of our our team members at one point, I was like, I like that. (laughs) You know what, Ron? There is so many stories out there. There's such, the narratives can go all directions, right? History is made by the storyteller. So my story is to find the gold, find the silver lining and in everything. Mm -hmm. Even the one I just told you, the silver lining, it wasn't money going in or out, it was that every day I woke up Excited, yeah. So, chief cheerleader to me just means always finding the gift of the moment, always being present for whomever's right in front of you, whether it's a customer, whether it's a team member, or whether it's you right now in this podcast. It comes from inside. Hmm. It's a passion to make somebody leave somebody just a little bit happier after interaction.
0: Hmm. Isn't that what retail's all about? It is very much. I love that you described earlier. The best experiences are those that the customer wanted at that time, yeah. that you were curious enough, you were empathetic yeah. enough to listen and kind of play off of someone else and make sure that it isn't the experience you want them to have, yeah. it's the experience they want to have.
1: Right, yeah. last night we went to dinner and we had an am- Sarah, amazing yeah. server, <laughs> come on, right? <laughs> she was awesome. Awesome, and you know what happened? After we walked out, I had to go use the restaurant, I went in, she came and found me, ran up, she was like, thank you so much. Oh. She's like, what a wonderful dinner. Oh. She's like, you guys were just amazing. We did that. It's just yeah. one moment she in She did it life. for us. She did it for us and, and we, we did it for her. We did it for it's her. a two way street. Right. You, know? right. you can't have a great retail experience with just one person trying. Right.
0: Right. And the food was fine, but we remember her. Yeah. I don't yeah. remember the food. Right. <laughs> yeah. No, no. And I think that's, you know, we often, sometimes in retail and product, you know, you're selling handbags, but the experience is so much bigger than the product. I really believe that. And back to that chief cheerleader, I mean, I think
1: great product is table stakes now. Mm -hmm. If you don't have it, no level of cheering will get you over the finish line. But if you have it and you're able to layer on top an enthusiastic team to present it and to make the customer feel great simply by walking them to the door on the way out, physically and spiritually. Walking them to the door means they're thinking about you on the way out. Right. Right. So and what, that they will
0: likely tell their
1: friends They and will tell their friends. So like, if they feel they were walked to the door, like when you take someone out of your home, yeah. they're going to want to come back to your home. Right. right. Right? Right. If they feel like you're on the couch, like, see ya, and you get into your phone, they're like, oh, that's not an experience. That was great. Right?
0: Right. right. So as you've built out your own start to fleet, we'll just call it the future fleet of <laughs> Hammett.
1: 7,451 <laughs> and counting. There you go. You
0: dream big. That's you. You're the cheerleader. You're dreaming big. What are some things as you built your own store that you wanted to make sure that the customer experienced? Some of what we just described, but logistic or kind of from an infrastructure standpoint, what did that look like for you? Well, the first one was a complete failure. That's what's great. We opened
1: our first retail store in Las Vegas. It was a brand new center on the strip, signed the lease two years earlier. I thought, we're ready. Woo. (laughs) And it was right across from Bellagio, Caesars, had to work, Sure, luxury outdoor mall in Vegas. Beautifully designed store. We had good product, awesome grand opening. Opened those doors, crickets. Oh, wow. Nothing. I mean, it was the wrong foot traffic. Plenty of people walking by, but they were not looking for luxury. They were looking to have a drink. They were looking to socialize. And. A lot of brand Remo was in there, a lot of they all closed within the first six months, oh, wow. walked away from their lease. We stayed open for one full year and then we had to close it also. Mm-hmm. So the lesson to me was you can build the beautiful store and have great product and be there for but if it's not the right customer, it's not gonna work. And I took that one to the bank when we opened our second, which was right here in Southern California, mm-hmm. South Coast Plaza. And we took it a little different tact there. Right. Yeah. We made sure that it was really it was welcoming, it was open, not too crowded a product. We always staff for the peaks, not for the valleys. I have a full size fridge in the back. It's one of those retro step full size. It's stocked champagne, drinks, water, sodas, always. We always have candy and cookies for the kids, dog treats for the dogs that come through. Great. So every customer that comes in it's old school luxury, isn't it? Yeah. Can I offer you a drink? What would you like? place to sit down you know get to know each other and it's worked so well we were able to open manhattan beach during covid Mm -hmm. same philosophy and now la jolla right up the street is going to open in january and la jolla is a little bit different i'm taking some risks ron there is no back room designed. <laughs> we and had this conversation last night. What I've heard from Ron, <laughs> it's going to be a mistake. And I'm okay with it because I like to take chances. Yeah, uh, yeah. My philosophy there was uh, all retail and we're going to restock it every day yeah. to maximize the square footage. I'm trying to figure out a footprint size that would work all over the country yeah. that we can restock it every day versus having really huge back rooms. And because all of our product is boxed, it takes a lot of space. So it's really challenging, but we'll find out. We'll figure it out. You know what? That's what it is.
0: Figure it out. Number
1: three is still experiment. You don't want to be
0: experimenting at number 30. Test. No, you do not. Yeah, (laughs) test and learn. You know, a lot of brands get to like seven, eight, nine before they've really figured out like what that package is and store design, fixture, colors, art, all of it, so that you start to brand it as your own. And from a people perspective, what did you want to create? I mean, I think you gotta give people permission to do whatever
1: it takes Mm. to make that customer happy in the moment with some boundaries. So it's not just a free drink, it's also, like I said, making them happy, showing them opportunities to win the situation, even when they're upset, even when they're returning a product. So for example, a return comes in, sometimes you feel like you go to a store, they're like, ah, right? They embrace the return. They're like, yes, we hate to have a hammock stuck in the back of a closet on a shelf. Thank you for returning him to me. This is the greatest. He gets to find a new home. They celebrate it in that moment. It just releases it.
0: Right. Right? Because the customer is nervous yeah, already. Yeah, you know, they're right. And they're I ready for I make sure they know
1: like returns are awesome. And by the way, do you want to see something else? Right. Most of our returns get turned into other uh, purchases because they just have a great experience, right? So you gotta give them permission to really enjoy themselves, have a little fun, and also remind them that everybody deserves that level of service. Yep. So at the same token, some people, I told them, listen, you can't make everyone happy, and some people, they're just never gonna be happy and move on from it, drop it. Yeah, Go into the back room, take a
0: breath, that was a toughie. So retail's that way. Yep. And when you're out traveling the country, as I've seen you do having trunk shows and you're in Dillard's in the middle of America and you're bringing that kind of Tony energy and that like Hammett world to these stores, large department stores, what do you discover?
1: First of all, I discover all of the things we need to to do better. Mm -hmm. So the earliest days was just talking to the sales associates and they're honest. Tony, that leather, no. Tony, it needs a cell phone pocket on the outside. Tony, the strap is way too short. Half my customers won't buy it. Tony, Tony. So you come and I back with listen. so many notes. So many good notes, you know? And, and by the way, not everything we can do or not everything we want to, but it's great to hear them. And also they love to be heard. And then the second thing is just talking them about retail, getting to know what's important to them. Being on the selling floor with the associates to me is the most valuable time. It's way more valuable than sitting down with Bill Dillard. Sorry, Bill. Jim Von Mar. Sorry, Jim. I love you guys. Yeah. Great lunch. We talk. But as founders, right? The reason Jim and Bill are always on the road in their stores is the reason why Dillard's and Von Mar are killing it. Yeah. Because the associates feel heard. Yeah. Every day there's executives in their stores flying around the country, visiting them. But that's what, that's the magic, Amazing. isn't it? Yep. So when I launched Hammett, I said, I would be that way. I would spend as much time visiting our specialties and department store associates. And that's what I do. A lot oh, of times I go in unannounced and I don't even care if the owners, are, I just want to talk to the associates, mm-hmm. not just in the handbag department, mm-hmm. in the other departments, because there's a lot of crossover. Yep. You know what's trending in jewelry, in watches, in home furnishings. Right? How will that apply to us? Yeah. So, and you know when they see me there, like, it's funny. Like I, I did like a one month trip, and I was in the middle of nowhere. I visited all these small towns with Dillard, just barely walking. In. Like, Why are you here? I'm like, I own it. You own it. You know, it's just that fun moment. Yeah. They don't get that, right? You know, right. they don't get they don't get the owners of the brands walking in unannounced. You know, and I like it that way because when you're announced, you don't get the real. Experience. Yeah, they know you're coming. Yep. Right. And I'm sure you walk into some things you're not happy to see. I'm very happy to see them, though. That's why. See them. I'm yeah. un- no unhappy to see the what's what it looks like. But I'm happy to see it because you have to realize that's just retail. It could have been beautiful five minutes before. It's not their fault. Right, we have to do a better job of giving them the tools to make sure the presentation really always is on brand, yeah. and that's training, and that's time, and that's also getting them to care. Yeah. And how do you get them to care? You connect with them one on one. Exactly
0: right. Let's talk about you. So tell us kind of I love your that topic. Okay.
1: <laughs> what else can we
0: say about me? <laughs> tell us your you know who who inspires you. It's 8:30 in the morning right now by yeah. the way. So we are having a grand old time. You know, how do you do that every day?
1: Four more shots of espresso, please. <laughs> That's how I do it every day. Yeah. You know what? <laughs> my father was my inspiration. I mean, he owned a small grocery store in Parma, Ohio. And I I mean, I remember walking holding his hand and before he owned one, he managed uh, what was equivalent to like a Vons out here or a Piggly Wiggly in the South or name the big grocery store that people shop at, Kroger. And I would walk with him and it was just amazing. Down the aisles, customers, Paul, Paul, Mm. I was so proud. Mm. And that really inspired me to be my dad one day, to be Mm. The person that could walk down the street and people like loved you. They mm-hmm. wanted to meet you. They wanted to say hi to you. They knew your story. And so and he got all of that from running that grocery store. Wow. And he, and he was there every day. Okay. Every day. And the franchise was called Conven- Convenient Food Mart. It opened at seven AM. It closed at midnight, which means you get there at six o'clock and you get out of there at one. And him and my mom and my brothers, my sister and I, we all worked in it. Wow. So the hours were long. But that was our family, that was our nucleus. Some people sit around the table and have dinner. We sat around the grocery store mm. and ate fried chicken, which we made, or we had the rotisserie chicken in the back or whatever wow. was there. That wow. was our family meal, wow. breaking bread when there wasn't customers in the store.
0: <laughs> but it's your own unique family experience. It doesn't it, have it to be was our, our a table.
1: Table.
0: Yeah, Yeah, no, it was our experience. And that was, and also, you know, when you're
1: together that much, and there's constant flow of employees and customers, you really learn relationships, right? Mm -hmm. All types of them and how to handle them. Mm -hmm. So the gift to me
0: was understanding how to balance that, Mm -hmm. right? Wow, and that drive to do and, and provide all yeah, the time yeah, too. Yeah,
1: and he was Sounds an entrepreneur. Like he was the first franchise to do X, Y, Z, P, D, Q. He always had to get permission. He didn't ask for it. He did it and then he asked for permission. Wow. So, cause in a franchise, they wanted to be exactly the same. Sure. But my dad's like, no, we're gonna just start cashing checks in the 70s. No, we're gonna start fried chicken. No, we're gonna do donuts. No, we're gonna triple the size of the deli. Oh, we're gonna have two lottery machines. He just kept pushing the limits to get more people in. Yeah. And that's where I learned to ask for forgiveness Mm -hmm. not for permission. Mm -hmm. And I hope if any of our team members are listening and they will, ask for forgiveness. You don't need permission at Hammett to do whatever it takes to make our customers happy
0: and to make our partners happy. Because if you can make them both happy, we're gonna be successful, aren't we? You will. And the team around you. Yeah, you know, do yeah. what you need to do to make each other happy. Yeah, you know, as absolutely. you work in the office, you work in a store, yeah. you know, it's listening, it, it's being there as good of a partner to each other yeah. as you are to the customer, yeah. which I'm sure you do. I want to talk about technology and kind of how you're engaged in the industry. So you're also involved with the Accessories Council. Yes. You're on the board. Yes, shout the, out Karen. Karen and Lena. How does that play into your role in the industry? And then I want to talk about technology. You know, When I joined the council years ago, I had no idea how much
1: effort they would put into supporting everyone, didn't matter who you were, and it really got me into the groove. I had someone to talk to mm-hmm. that helped to mentor us. I also got to talk to other like-minded people, and as I participated more and more and attended the ACE Awards and met more people, I realized that I'd like to even do more. I was uh, elected to the board of directors this year, mm-hmm. and so now I'm on. Thank oh, you, it's amazing. Different committees: the uh, branding committee, uh, membership committee, and. If you're a brand entrepreneur, or even if you're just in this industry, I think being a part of something like an accessories council is so important. It's a place to share ideas and to grow.
0: And that's why I'm part of it. It's very exciting. And build your network and think of, you know, have these other peers and other people you can turn to and learn and ask questions because there are a lot of, there's a lot of startups in the accessories council that maybe wouldn't have some of the failures that you had early on in Hammett had there been an Accessories Council. Right, and you know, the thing, when you join a council, the Accessories Council in particular, it's not
1: what can they do for you. It's what can you do for the council? So I think people underestimate what they can bring to the table, even if they just started their brand. By participating, by hosting, by showing up at meetings, and by talking, you're giving back, and that's what the council's all about. It's all about sharing and growing together. You know, I think about the story of uh, there's an older man that lost his wife, and the doctor comes out to tell him, and he sees a little girl down the hall and says, she just lost her mom. you go talk to her Mm. totally changed how the older man thought about losing his wife because he was able to go down and help the -hmm. younger girl right Mm. and that's what a council is about it's not about oh my gosh my business is struggling what do i do it's like oh my gosh my business is struggling there's some great lessons here how can i help this other person avoid them
0: and when you have that attitude everybody wins wow that's beautiful and Let's talk about other technology that you're using. So you're also introducing Immerse yeah. into your Immerse. website. So I'm, I'm on their advisory board. So Woo-hoo. to kind of tell everyone a little bit how Immerse is showing up in your brand and what it is. Well, Immerse is a live
1: streaming platform, one-to-many or one-to-one. One. And we'd been using streaming prior to bringing Immerse on earlier this year. We'd been using Zoom pre-pandemic yeah. for wholesale. Yep. And then when pandemic hit, we used Zoom for direct to consumer mm-hmm. and it's worked. Mm-hmm. Well, we've been able to almost double our footprint of retailing partners between uh, turnover and new ones in the last 3 years. And so we knew when the consumer jumped in we needed something better. What could we do? And we did not want to lean into social like the Facebook lives, Instagram. We can do them, but they're not scaling for you. Yeah. Scaling for them. Yep. So Yep. We looked for something, I was introduced to Immerse from one of their investors, that's right, at an investor's conference. Oh, and I, he was like, he's like, you gotta, I'm like, great, I look, I'm like, this is great, it's simple. Yeah. It can be up and running in a couple of days. Yep. And I have the founders supporting me and my team every day. Yep. I go, let's just try it. I mean, it was that quick. I think it was two conversations. So Fallon, who's uh, our host of Hama Television, she's on Immerse, I believe, three, four times a week. Okay, and then we're going to go one-to-one by the time this airs uh, in the first quarter with them. Great. Uh, So really excited. I think live streaming has to be consistent, has to be curated, and has to bring something more than, here, please buy this. So if you watch our recorded Immerse streams on our website, you'll see, You kind of have a lot of fun. I love it. People come back over and over again for the entertainment and for the new product.
0: Yeah, and you can host, through Immerse, you can host those videos and save them on your site, which is great.
1: And you get all the analytics, you know, who looked at it, who did You actually know based on, you know, who looked at it, if they purchased. So it's really way better than just putting it out
0: on a social channel and not having control of your data. Yep yeah and the one to one can come as you build out your retail fleet, you know having that ability and right. store of say, can we go to video? we'd love to see this bag what's yep. the size? how does it look on your on your arm yep. there's so many you know it's just a layer in our ecosystem yep. of customer experiences, some yep. of which are very human, very emotional, very in person, some are more anonymous on a website, and some are customers don't have the ability to be in a store but want a human engagement. That's where brands like Immerse really win. Yeah. I think the biggest
1: opportunity over the next couple of years is to bring that website customer into the store, yeah. whether physically or whether it is through a technology. So, uh, my customer concierge team, which is what we call them, they're not serviced, they take care of the customer wherever they are. So, I told you we staff for the peaks, not the valleys. Mm-hmm. You know what they do during the valleys? They are on whether it be Immerse or whether it be one of the other chat technologies, talking with live customers on the site Mm. and answering questions and getting people to either call into the store to complete the transaction or working with our technology so that they can complete it through a link. Mm. So my team's always busy. So if there's people on a wait list for a product on our site, when it hits, instead of just a generic email only, they actually reach out to them one-on-one and say, hey, Ron, you know what? The Tony just came in. You ready? And they're like, "Oh my gosh, thank you!" And they come in. So, great.
0: so they're busy and they love it, and the customers love it too. They feel heard. Yeah, yeah. And that's luxury in perception. You know, I think luxury—it's clienteling. You know, we, I think, for many years, thought about price point dictate service. You know, the higher the price, the better the service. And I think that we today, as we sit here, have to let all of that go yeah. and said. A two hundred dollar item, a twenty dollar item deserves an experience because for that person today, that's what they can experience, Mm -hmm. afford, whatever that looks like for them, that's important. And they deserve a level of of service and an experience as anyone else. And that's what sometimes video selling does, but in store particularly, it should have access to incredible service. Incredible. Whether you make a purchase or not. Right. Isn't it it. it
1: Almost upsetting when you're in a big brand and you're in the store and they don't have access to the inventory at another store. Yes. You're like, really? I mean, come on at all this of it. point. All of it. Know, There's no got, reason. The customer no expects reason. you to be better. No reason. No reason. We have all of that. We're lucky our tech stack was built on, you know, sass from the beginning, everything talks to each other. You have visibility from the selling floor all the way through to inventory buckets, whether it's on our site, at other stores. Mm-hmm. So all of our associates are able to communicate. Yeah. I actually want to put in either echoes or voice so they can literally just talk between the stores. Yeah. That's another thing I want to put in. So it's, it's simply, you know, call Manhattan Beach and it opens up the speaker and say hi, so.
0: All of it, or this idea of, kind of AR, VR, you know, what does that look like? Metaverse, there's just, there's a lot of future talk Mm -hmm. in our industry, but nothing replaces this. I like to say one thing about tech though, Ron.
1: From the customer's perspective, it should be invisible. Yes. I've never believed the smart mirror or the smart whatever, that's not what they want. They want to come in the store and they want human to human. I call it H to H. Yeah. So it's not B2B, it's not B2C, it's not DTC. It's human-to-human interactions. That's what you focus on, and you let the technology be behind them and almost invisible to make it
0: smoother and easier. I could not agree more. The more obvious it is, the more kind of gaming it looks. and yeah. It diminishes the experience. Right. Because the team then also relies too heavily on the tech versus let's put the, the h to first. Right. And then yeah. things like inventory management, things like order delivery things like purchase history all become effortless and seamless of like i know about you i understand you and therefore i can deliver an experience that's right for you because i have some information 100 like that and that's invisible yeah that's great service yeah right there yeah tony this has been such a fun conversation on a monday morning with you i'm really honored to you know, call you a friend, watch you and how you build your brand, be engaged in several different community events and speaking opportunities that you and I get to do together over the course of this year, NRF coming up. And you know, there's a, a lot of things that you and I will keep doing together because I really admire you. I admire how you lead and how you think about people and the customer and, and what you're building. I, I, really cherish our friendship oh thank you ron same here
1: i'm really this is an amazing tour you're on i remember (laughs) you telling me this is going to happen
0: and it got delayed a little bit
1: which i think was perfect you know that's the thing it happened exactly when it was supposed to right It did. you are bringing joy to every person you sit down with in the podcast or you see on the selling floor and uh that's got to feel good thank you so congratulations
0: Thank you, Tony, for being on the show today and to everyone for listening. This was a lot of fun. Thank you to my producer, Roy Peretz, and to Dean Albach, the audio engineer for the Retail in America show. Subscribe at RetailPride.com or follow me on Instagram at RetailPride to see all the details about the Retail in America tour. And with that, keep your Retail Pride strong, and I will see you on the road.